0: Hi, welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks and this is Jen oneill Smith and this is a <mu> podcast about the dumb things that people do for love. So welcome to episode two. We did it. We did... One full episode and now we're starting a second. I mean the the response to the first one has been amazing. We've actually had zero response because we haven't posted the first one. Together. Well, I
1: mean the response from me, like from I, us. from we thought it was great. We so. did. I loved
0: the first episode very much.
1: So I hope you guys are uh thank you for listening and we are excited to tell each other some more stories. So yeah. um, do you wanna
0: start with our silly stories? Yes, I'm our very dumb excited. love stories. I can't wait. Our shorties, our quickies, our- we'll figure out what to call them. Yeah, you tell us what you want us to call it. I'm kind of leaning towards quickies because it's like, it's quick story and, it, you know, play on sex, quickie, <laughs> but whatever, if that's dumb, is quickie one of those words that's like cringeworthy, like, panties, moist, moist panties? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you guys tell I us. don't know. Just tell us what you want. Yeah. We'll do it
1: okay so my story is like an old an oldie but goodie like okay. you've definitely heard this before but um it's like one of my favorites and i'll tell you why so this is about um the south carolina governor mark sanford who went missing for six days in 2009 do you remember this
0: i uh, no
1: okay Oh, good. (laughs) Okay. So he, he went missing. They, nobody knew where he was. He was the governor. Um, His wife didn't know where he was. His security staff didn't know where he was. Um, They all like, so his phones were turned off. He stopped responding to phone and test text messages. Um, So the media caught on and started like questioning his staff and his family. And basically like, who is in charge here? You know, like if the governor is gone and he's not able to respond. Vice like, governor? The lieutenant governor, I think, who okay. apparently was also some kind of like shady figure. I don't know. But so so his his wife said initially, she said, I don't know where he is. Exactly, but I, I'm not worried because he told me he needed some time away from me and the kids to write something. Like, he was, like, going off to write, um, which sounds lovely. I would love that, too. I know. I want to go away
0: and write something. Um, so the
1: media, it was, like, this It was like this huge media storm. Like, it, people were, like, more and more national media was catching on to this case that he's missing. Oh, and my so, God, did he write the notebook? Is this about the
0: notebook? <laughs> 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 he came back and was, like... <gasps> <laughs> I love the saddest love story. <laughs> um, close.
1: It is a pretty sad love story. So okay. after oh, four shoot. days... Sorry. No, actually, it's not sad. <laughs> it, after four days, um, his spokesperson, after being missing came out and was like oh wait (laughs) actually he did tell me where he went um he's out hiking the appalachian trail what and then and then the fifth day his spokesperson was like oh and he just called me and said he's like so shocked by all this media attention and so he's gonna come back tomorrow so this is like the random part that i that i have the connection to but at the time uh i don't want to (laughs) brag but i wrote a blog did you have a blog
0: I actually never had a blog. Oh, you I never blogged? Have, I didn't have
1: the balls to blog. Oh, yeah. I blogged for a couple I years blogged. anonymously. But part of what I was writing about was um, so you know, this part about me is that my husband and I met hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yes. Um, and so I was writing part of. Um, I was writing about that and I had a blog post that was like, what is the Appalachian Trail? And I like had a map and all this information about it. And so I didn't wasn't following this news story at all. But all of a sudden, my little blog that probably had like 10 followers, all of a sudden was getting like a ton of hits. Like I was getting like so much traffic to my blog and to this site in particular because everybody was like, What's the Appalachian Trail? And they were Googling it, and my for some reason blog kept coming up. My blog was the first thing that came up for some reason.
0: Um, Can I? I just say I'm sorry. You'll find these things out about Sally. Sally has all of these like brushes with like fame. Finds her. She has so (laughs) many different like things that went viral, and she didn't know it was going to go viral. Or she has like this just happens. Like the universe wants Sally. To be Oprah, you know, this, maybe this podcast will help. Do you think this is gonna happen? I, I think hope it's gonna so, happen. but I feel like it just keeps coming for you, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was my, this was um, a very small brush with fame. Um, well, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I, none I, of those people. Want to hear the
0: rest? <laughs>
1: well, so so he did come back the next day. So he came back on the sixth day, but instead of driving back from being on the Appalachian Trail, he flew in from Buenos Aires and. <gasps> There was a reporter. Her name was Gina Smith, and she was from the state, which I don't know. I'm guessing that's a newspaper. Um, had gotten oh, my a, a tip. TV show. <laughs> She's you know Gina Smith from the state. <laughs> she was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, she was the the sketch improv group <laughs> Gina Smith. <Yeah. laughs> um, so she had received a tip that he was in Argentina, and so just on a hunch, she showed up at the airport. Um, at for the first flight in from Buenos Aires at the Atlanta airport at 543 in the morning. And so she was there and he comes off the plane, sure enough. And she was like, Hey, what's going on? And so he actually sat down and talked to her and was like, Oh, right. I was going to hike the <laughs> Appalachian trail. But the last minute I decided to do something more exotic. Um, so I went to Argentina, but I was totally alone. That's what he tells him. So he tells her, so a few hours later, he actually holds a press conference and he's like, Oh, just kidding. I was in Argentina with my mistress. Oh, my. And my spokesperson only said the Appalachian Trail because I told them I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Nobody right. knew. Um, and then he said his wife actually had found out about the affair in January. This was in like May. I some, it was after this. But so she knew, she didn't know he was there, but they were on a trial separation. And so, of course, the first thing he does on this trial separation is fly down with his mistress. But
0: why no communication? Like, why, like, you can be, oh, I guess because they didn't want to tr- can track the call to.
1: I guess. I mean, I, I guess he couldn't say I'm going to be in Argentina because he was having an affair. He was still married. I worried. hold
0: the press conference before and say, hey guys, I'm, I'm going on a family a vacation break.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be off the books yeah. here, just trying to find myself <laughs> yeah. down in Argentina. Just need to regroup. I'll be back in a little while. <laughs> and I guess he was like had been having this affair for quite a while. He'd known wow. this woman for like eight years, but he said it was just in like... The last year, and even like sought counseling. He and his wife had couples counseling, like because she knew about it. And then um, he went to this place called the Family, which is like a really—I um, I don't really understand—but it's like a weird, you know, um, uh, conservative family group that apparently a bunch of like sounds hi- like an Italian. Right, he, he went, to went to the Family, <laughs> and
0: he was like, "Look." know I, I have my'm horrible with accents um, Caroline manzos family <laughs> That's a real housewives reference I don't know I know them okay you know I know them okay, know 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 them. okay.
1: okay. Um, yes so he anyway so he he went to this he went and like sought counseling through the this place called the family that apparently a couple other senators who also were having affairs were a part of, so, you know, like, they're real, What uh, a fake bullshit group
0: yes. of, like... That is such, like, a rich white dude thing to make this, like, little... It's, like, like white-collar jail. Yes. But it's, like, so they the family, they just go and sit and smoke cigars and play golf, and they're like, oh, I'm getting treated for the fact that I'm a cheating piece of shit. Yes, yeah, oh and my they're God. just like, oh, I'm so sorry, but, and, you know, I mean, it's... If women make mistakes, we get, like, locked up in the loony bin and, uh, like, electric shock therapy (laughs) until we get our shit straight. But men, they just go on a vacation and call it... The family. The family.
1: Yeah, I wish I... I can't remember the other senators' names, but anyway. But they also got caught around the same time, which I think is very fitting. Um, Let's all get caught in the same time! (laughs) (laughs) All right, you guys, (laughs) I'm going to do my affair.
0: (laughs) let you guys go to Pinky Square and do your affair, Dude, too. this whole thing where you say you're going to be somewhere and then <laughs> don't answer the phone for six days. People will freak out. And <laughs> we get a they lot. They don't have to get caught. Got
1: so much press. Um, oh, my God. So he actually was, like, not... I mean, he was, like, repentant about that he disappeared but he like told reporters he was very sappy about his mistress her name was Maria and he was like I can die knowing that I've met my soulmate like he actually said that into a microphone really Uh, yeah so you
0: think he really did love her true love story or is this is a dumb love story. This
1: is dumb. Okay, so, <laughs> so they in May. So this was in two thousand nine, and then two thousand ten. He he was divorced, He got his wife divorced him. So good for her. Um, and then and they tried to, um, I guess the state. Senate? I don't know who does that. Tried to impeach him,
0: uh-huh. but
1: um, they ended up not impeaching him because I guess his term was ending soon, and also the person who was the lieutenant governor was also cheating on his well <laughs> Yeah, so they were like, well, this is like a worse alternative. So, um, so he, in 2010, after all of this was kind of died down, he started things back up with the mit- mistress, <gasps> um, and then they got engaged in 2012, uh, and then in 2013, he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. So oh my, uh, the, there you go. Yeah, the people of the uh, great state of South Carolina, where I was born, uh, decided to re-elect him. But then um, the sad, the sad sad news is that um, he and the mistress broke off their engagement in 2014. So oh. I guess
0: it wasn't, it didn't so work out. It wasn't out. a true love story. It wasn't a true love story. Oh my God, what a, he's dumb. Dumb. What a dumb, dumb senator that's, in charge of a lot of people right it's like can there be lives. there's got to be better people in south carolina <sighs> they're all so dumb oh my god <laughs> do you watch southern charm there's not better people in- and <laughs> no <laughs> i'm just kidding south Carolina's great um man that's crazy all right, do you have a quickie? Oh, my God. I'm so excited to tell you about this quickie. I've been excited about it all week. Is this the one that you, you texted me and were like... I was like, get ready. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm ready. Yeah, okay, so I thought I had one, and I was telling my friend about it at dinner the other night, and um, he was like... And the, so my story was going to be about this woman who married the, um, the Berlin Wall, like she fell in love with <laughs> see that's already great right yes right okay so there's there's a term for it it's called um object or objectum sexuality um or objectophilia is another term for it. It's people that are like in lo- like fall in love with yeah objects <laughs> and um i mean sometimes you get it right where you're just like you hear some of these stories that we're telling and you're just like yeah, I mean, the Berlin Wall is as good as anything. Isn't it a sexy wall? <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, feel like that was a very not sexy wall. So you're like, it. it's not that you're the object that you're objecting like to. Wall it's Great Wall China, that. I could see that. <laughs> it's a hot wall. It's a hot wall. Um, it's got all those curves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, so I was telling my friend about the woman that married the Berlin Wall, and he was yeah. like, oh my God, have you heard the story? Um, Which is the one that I'm about to tell you now, which is about a man named Edward Smith. Now, this man, he has claimed to have had sex with over a thousand cars (laughs) that he had very romantic feelings towards. But the love of his life is a white Volkswagen Beetle that he named Vanilla Like what? what Like give your girlfriend a real name, right? Or your boyfriend a real name? Like Vanilla. I mean, that's like when I
1: was ten and I got a dog and I named her Wiggles because she wiggled. Like I mean, (laughs) it's just like, oh, you're white, okay, Vanilla. Vanilla.
0: And then she's so special that you named her Regular. he says maybe I'm a little bit off the wall, but when I see movies like Herbie and Night Rider, where cars become lovable, huggable characters, it's just wonderful. Yeah, those are wonderful because they're fictitious, <laughs> like um, cartoonish movies or shows. But he um, he's like he's he's a lover of cars. Like he says that he writes poetry, he sings to them, and he talks to them just like a girlfriend. He talks about how um, he's had. He ha- and it's not okay. He doesn't. He loves Vanilla. Vanilla is the love of his life. But he still spends time with other vehicles. Oh, wow. He Does Vanilla know? Vehicles. <laughs> he's poly- Probably carous. not because it's an inanimate object. <laughs> 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 but he also has a, a nineteen seventy three Opel GT named Cinnamon, and then he's got a nineteen ninety three Ford Ranger Splash named Ginger. So, I'm sensing a theme here. Yeah, so he names them Flavors, which is little, kind of gross. Um, but he said that his last relationship with an actual woman um, was 12 years ago, but that he couldn't bring himself to consummate it. and that he. Um, but he says he did have sex with girls in his younger years, um, but now he's fully into what he calls mechaphilia, because it's not just objects, it's these cars. But are, yeah. you, are you going to tell me... Because I'm very curious. Does I want he to know the baby the me- cars. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: the the mechan- way like sprout these side cars. Up. <laughs> They're like um, Hot Wheels. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a bucket full of Hot Wheels. Um, was like these are my kids. Um, no, what what are the this? I can't think of a better word. But what are the mechanics of of how they have sex?
0: I, it like I say, the go- exhaust pipe? I want to I wanna say okay. For instance, he says that there was, um, there's, he said there have been certain cars that just attracted to me and, um, he would just like, he says he would creep up to them and just hug and kiss them. But I'm willing to bet (laughs) that, oh wait, he, no, 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 I'm sorry. He says that. When he was turned 13 and the famous Corvette Stingray came about, that car was just pure sex and was just an incredible machine. I wanted it. So he says he wanted it sexually, and he does hug and kiss cars. He crawls up and, you know, onto the car and loves on it hard. (laughs) But it says... He, no, he does say. Like, it says, Mr. Smith, 57, first had sex with a car at the age of 15 and claims he was and never had been attracted to men or women. But then I guess he... Oh, oh my God. I forgot the best part. Forgive me because I'm jumping all around this crazy-ass article. Um, Okay. Here's the best part. His wandering eye has spread beyond cars to other vehicles. Oh, he says, you dirty dog! This is this is a celebrity sighting. Well, this is a celebrity <laughs> connection. Are you ready? Yeah. He says his most intense sexual experience was making love to the helicopter from 1980s TV show Airwolf. <laughs> <laughs> Who left him alone with the helicopter? Right. we never leave it? your helicopter alone with mechophilias.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. I feel so. like that helicopter was I mean, was it into it?
0: What I also mean, we're gonna post this picture too on our Instagram oh at no. Dub Love Podcast at, right at Dub Love pod. At dumb yeah. love, dumb love pod at gmail.com. Uh, or oh, on our Instagram. Oh, sorry, dumb love podcast. Dumb love podcast. But there's a picture of Mr. Um, Edward Smith it's, um, next to one of his former partners, which is a Volkswagen Bug. I mean, I was sorry. I said, "Oh no,"
1: because I thought you were gonna say you had a picture of him making love Doing it in a car.
0: <laughs> but Doing I'm so it on a car, in a car, <laughs> right in like, a car. You can't do it with a because I don't know. Also. <laughs> Is on one hand he says he says he's not hurting anybody and he says that it's true he's not hurting anybody but also like it's non-consensual because they can't consent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if this is a I like I have to it's not hurting anybody and is love love in this sense. Like you can love your card, but or is it you can love your car, but just don't love your car? <laughs> it's un, it's just unrequited. Exhaust pipe. I think it's... You know what? I feel like
1: this is like a person who otherwise would be doing weird things that might be hurting people. So... Let go. him do a car. Yeah, let him do a car. Yeah, you know. And here's, the, here's the third thing. Here's my other thing. Is that how is a person who has sex with cars wealthy enough that he can buy these vintage these cars. cars. Like,
0: what does he do? And he's, like, talking about it openly. And would you... Well, it says he's part of a global community of more than 500 car lovers, quote-unquote, brought together by internet <laughs> forums. Because, of course. Of course, the internet. internet but I... Here's my question for you, Sally. Yeah. Would you be more or less inclined to sell your car to someone like Mr. Smith? Would you want it to go to a place where you know it's going to be loved real hard? Or would you not want it to go to a place where it's going to be loved real hard?
1: Um, See, I think that if he wants to pay premium dollar, I will... Because I don't... I'm not attached to my car in that way. Right?
0: He can have it. Okay. It never says what he does for his living, right? I mean, he probably just works at a junkyard. I mean, I mean, I couldn't afford, right? Like a classic car. Or he does something cool enough to where he would be left alone with nineteen eighties TV hit a helicopter, Airwolf. I mean, Is the helicopter named Airwolf? I can't remember. Sounds I don't know. Like
1: <laughs> uh, that's a nutso story. You're welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel um, gross. I feel a little gross. I feel a little gross. And also, just so curious. I'm so curious. I'm going to be Googling, how do you have sex with a car? (laughs) If you guys know, write in. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Okay, you ready for... The crazy love, the bad story, the dark story. Yes,
0: always.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, so this one, I watched a 48 Hours Mystery on it.
0: um, And it was called Love and Death in Alaska. Have you heard of this? I probably have, just because I know all of them. But it doesn't... I don't immediately know what it is, no. Well, now you're going to hear of it yes. the way that I tell it. Um, okay,
1: so in 2008, uh, this woman, Michelle Linehan, lived in Olympia, Washington with her 8-year-old daughter and her doctor husband. Um, she had a master's degree. She owned a business. She volunteered in her community. Um, I mean, she sounds kind of like the type of woman that would just, like, annoy the shit out of me, but... Um, she sounds like a boss, she and sounds, I love it. You, love, you would love her. I would be like, ugh. Um but she uh,
0: anyway she was b- I lift women up so- <laughs> <laughs> And I push them back down <laughs> that's how we work. <laughs> I step on them to get <laughs> to the top <laughs> just kidding
1: <laughs> But she was like really well liked I mean people right. had very nice things to say about her um and she was well respected but you know I mean it's like just when you think you have it all that past comes back to haunt you oh, God. um because in 1994, Michelle had a really different life. Um, back then, she was Michelle Hughes, and she was a teenager. She was from Louisiana, and she went to. Um, she moved from Louisiana to New York City for a modeling career, which just makes me feel like. I mean, she was very pretty, but she also is like. It makes me feel like she was maybe discovered at a mall, you know? Right. Yeah, and she was like, "I'm going to New York City," you know, and then. And then very quickly she moved to Alaska to dance um, as an exotic dancer at the Great Alaskan oh, it was Bush one of Company. Those hard, yeah, hard not. <laughs> very quickly, like yeah. it, within like a year, she was uh, out. She was her modeling like crew that was finished. Poison video. <laughs>
0: Which one is that? Or, I do oh, I can't remember.
1: Um, but but she was dancing at a place called the Great Alaskan Bush Company. Oh, nice! Which I think it's is clever. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you you've been to Bloomington, Indiana? They used yes, to,
0: I love Bloomington. Yeah, they used way. to have
1: a strip club called Night Moves, which is my favorite
0: um, name this, for a strip club. That's a uh, Bob Seger song. Yes. Yeah, working
1: okay. on a Night
0: Moves. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I love a I love a clever strip club
0: name. Um, so okay, so she like swinging Richards. Here, what? No, yeah, I you never, never heard, heard of of that. Oh, yeah, because you just moved here. No, it's a male strip club, and it's called Swinging Richards, which you know Richard is long for. No, I never dick. heard that. <laughs> you didn't know? No. Swinging dicks. Swinging dicks. That's Swingin a good one. Dicks.
1: Um So she, so she met. Uh, she, she was very popular. Um, apparently, a very good dancer, and um, that's where she met Ken LePunk. LaPink, sorry. Ken LaPink, who was 35 years old. And um, his family said that he was like, he was fun. He was energetic. He loved life. He was also described as really impulsive. um, And which kind of explains why he met Michelle and like within weeks was telling his family that he had fallen head over heels in love with this woman. Um, he, He was from Michigan. He apparently had had like some kind of, um, problem with his family business his family had owned some stores in Michigan and he had like been skimming off the top like um that. and but so he moved to Alaska to kind of get his life together and was working on a fishing boat and his family was very close they still loved him they talked to him frequently he told his family about a month after he met Michelle that he had proposed um and they were they were happy for him um but they were also like a little you know I mean, they were suspicious, not suspicious, yeah. they were, they, he didn't tell them that she was a dancer or oh, that he okay. had met her, but they, she was so much younger than he was. And, um, when, so his parents came up to Alaska to meet her and his mom said that she just felt like the relationship wasn't mutual. Like when he would go to like put his arm around her, she would kind of like, like shrink back That's right. what the mom said, um, And like, it it made me think, I'm like, when I was 21, I went on, I got like kind of wrangled into this date with this guy named Wayne. Who was He's like sound, that's the serial killer name? <laughs> he was like a total Wayne. Like he had like a like a um, you know like a mock turtleneck.
0: Oh, I he wore that gonna, to our date. He was like reference like pinching her chin. <laughs> like he had like a pinchy like a fat chin. He had a real fat <laughs> neck. <laughs> neck not, not chin.
1: No, but I remember he told me. So I was twenty one. I was in college, and he told me he was like I was like how old are you? And he was like I'm thirty five. And my response was. and now I'm like oh there's nothing wrong being 35 or 40 or whatever but like uh but at the time but I mean so I'm like I get it Michelle you know the this guy's 35 he's like hugging up on our. (laughs) um so so anyway so the family was like a little suspicious but so um, now there's another guy. His name is um, Scott Hilkey. He's a traveling salesman. He also met Michelle at the Bush company, and he also fell in love with her. And 10 days after she said yes to um, Kent's proposal, she accepted a proposal from Scott Hilke.
0: That's not how proposals work. <laughs> it's kind of like a one in a time kind of thing. Um, but he, so She sounds like a yes person, though. It's like, <laughs> you should move to New York and be a model. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you should come move to Alaska and be a stripper. Okay. Yeah. You want to marry me? Yes. Except I she doesn't sound
1: like that. She yes. has, like, one of those really little baby voices. oh yeah. like, and yes? Yes, I would love that. Okay. You're the love of my life. <laughs> um, so Scott Hilke says he didn't had no idea about... Um, anyone else Um, he didn't but so then there then now there's a third man Um, his name is John Carlin oh my
0: god
1: yeah so he had just lost his wife to cancer and um, and was raising his teenage son by himself Um, and when he met Michelle he described her as mesmerizing he said he actually knew about the other men and he said he by the time he found out about um, Scott and Kent that he was like too smitten to care so she was basically seeing the at least these three guys for about like a period of like almost two years like between 1994 and 1996 she was kind of seeing both of them and at one point um she and Kent LaPink who's um the first guy and then um John Carlin all kind of lived in the same house what? what? So yeah, it was like everyone was kind of in and out. Scott Hilke was Alaska
0: for you, or I, I
1: don't know. I mean, it was seems like a very weird arrangement. They were all much older. She was this like a hot young thing. I I don't know. I mean, they all were like she was mesmerizing. She was whatever. Um, I'm like mm, she was 20, so how mesmerizing could, could she be? But so in 1995, he proposed. John Carlin proposed, and she said yes. So now she's engaged to. Three guys, um, and and she got a lot of like gifts from these guys, like money and diamonds and furs and And rent and cars and. They all lived in the
0: same house. Well,
1: it was it's very confusing, but apparently at some point some of them lived and they all knew about each other by the end, and they all knew kind of. um, They
0: they were all like like polygamists,
1: kind of, but I don't think it was. It's not. I mean, it was polygamous, obviously, because they knew, but I don't think they were like, oh, we're all happy with this arrangement. I think it was more like... I'll take what I can get. I'll take what I can get, yeah. Yeah. So they were all really, really in love and and flattered that this young, beautiful woman is, like, um, into them, and they just kind of, like, let it go. So... um, So by 1995, um, Scott Hilke, who's a traveling salesman, had left Alaska, kind of realizing that Michelle was like never going to marry him. She was like, he was like, all right, I see what's happening here. I guess because she has other (laughs) men. Um, But um, Kent is still he's planning a wedding. And in April 1996, his father went to visit. Kent and Michelle in Alaska, but Michelle was like nowhere to be found. Like apparently they were like, not that she was missing, but she just like wouldn't show up at any like, like they were supposed to, he was supposed to like have dinner with his father and she just didn't come. And so um, the dad says that Kent seemed embarrassed, but it like didn't really ring any alarm bells more than were already, they, I mean, they already kind of were like not happy about this, about Michelle, but they just were like, well, Kent says he's in love with her. She's the one and... We have to respect that. So within hours of his dad leaving, Kent mails his parents two letters. Um, They came in one envelope. So the first letter told them to put the second envelope in their safe deposit box and only open it if you think something fishy has happened to me. Um, his parents didn't open the second le- envelope, um, but they did immediately call to reach him once they got the letter. So, I mean, he's in Alaska; they're in Michigan. So it took a couple days to get there. Um, but it turned out the day the letter arrived—sorry, ar- the day the letter arrived—was the same day that Kent's body was found. Um, oh my god! And so he was found shot three times down an isolated road in a little town called Hope, which is like 90 miles south of um, Anchorage, which is where they lived. And it was like totally random that he was even found because it was like a very isolated place and they just happened to be someone going past and saw he was wearing a red jacket and they thought it was like blood, but it was... I mean, he was dead, but they saw the jacket and called police. And so he apparently... They don't know exactly the time of death, but it was like within a day, like Mm -hmm. they could tell by the decomposition. So the first thing Ken's parents did, obviously when they heard the news, was to open that second letter And it said that if he was dead, it was either John, Michelle, or Scott that had killed him. And um, in the letter, it says, do me a favor, make sure Michelle pays and make sure she goes to get jail for a long time. So uh, Scott Hilkey, who was the traveling salesman, was actually cleared because he was in Lake Tahoe at the time Kent was murdered. Um, And he was there because Michelle had asked him to meet her there. Um, And so she was also there. Although she had flown back the night before Kent was found, Scott was had stayed. So the police cleared him. Um, Scott later says that he says that he actually believes that she
0: had him meet her there. So she was out of state when things went down, right? Um, And so that he do you think because so he wouldn't get in trouble either to give them both alibis.
1: We don't know. I don't know. The police says he had nothing to do with it. who knows yeah. that he didn't know about what was going on? They they don't they have no evidence that he knew anything about it. Just that he right. apparently he and Michelle were still like in contact and saw each other occasionally, even though he moved and had broken off their engagement. So there was a note. Uh, no, okay, sorry. Um, police found out that four weeks before his death, uh, Michelle had taken out a one million dollar life insurance policy on Kent. Of course,
0: she did. Yeah, of course.
1: Um, but were they married? They weren't married, okay. but apparently they were. You it was like can still take out. Yes. Oh. Um, and Kent knew. Kent knew about the life insurance policy. It wasn't like a secret. Um, he even told his family about it. And apparently, her his mom was like, "I don't. This doesn't seem right." And he yeah. was like, "I'm a grown man. I know what I'm doing." Um, but apparently, Michelle's grandfather had paid for the life insurance policy. It was like as a wedding present. Like that was the. That was what they said, and um, but what what police also found out was that on his body he had a change of beneficiary form, so he had decided to give all the money to his family and had taken Michelle off of that
0: one million dollar
1: policy. So they also found um, a note in Kent's car, which is this is the guy who's died. Who's died? I know there's a lot of names here. um, That was from John Carlin, who was the third guy. to Michelle that they believe was like meant to lure Kent to this small town, um, in Alaska. And, um, it, it, it worked because they know, police know that he, that Kent at least went to hope once. And he, cause he was flashing around a picture of Michelle saying like, this is my fiance. Has anybody seen her here? And, um, and he told his mom that Michelle often disappeared and that he was going to go look for her there. Um, and they know that he went down there one time and he went, he made it back to Anchorage, but then a few days later was when he was found back in Hope, but this time dead. Um, So they have all this circumstantial evidence, right? They have the life insurance policy. They have the letter. um, They have this note, but they don't, they can't tie John Carlin or Michelle to the murder. Like Mm -hmm. they can't put them there. They don't have any other evidence. So like, the, it just kind of goes cold. Wow. And, um, and both Michelle and John are free to leave Alaska. So Michelle moves to Washington. That's where she meets this doctor. She gets married. She gets her master's degree. She has a daughter. And that's where she is in 2006 when she gets a knock on the door from police. and uh, And they're like... We (laughs) gotcha. We gotcha, bitch. I can't believe I ever Um,
0: defended this woman.
1: (laughs) Well, wait, there's more. Uh, So this is like 10 years later. So 10 years have gone by, and she's now like fully established. But so both she and John Carlin um, were arrested, um, him for committing the crime and her for um, conspiracy to commit murder. And so the new evidence is... It actually comes from John Carlin's son. I don't know if you remember. He has a teenage son who, at the time, because he was underage, his father wouldn't allow him to be um, interviewed. interviewed. Yes. Oh. So, but now he's an adult, and he tells um, police that his father that after the mur- murder, he watched his father um, bleaching a handgun while Michelle watched. Oh my gosh! Um, and then they also like recovered emails um, between Michelle and the three men and and they say it like really kind of showed how manipulative she was like she was telling like one of them like you're the love of my life the other guys don't mean anything while she was telling each one the same thing um, but they found an email from between Michelle and John saying like did you know you could buy like citizenship in the Seychelles, which I guess is an island, you know where that is.
0: <laughs> no, I just own okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, a shoe.
1: Did you know you could buy a citizenship in a shoe? Shoes? They sell them
0: at Nordstrom.
1: Seychelles. <laughs> yeah, Seychelles. Yeah. Um, but so apparently it's an island where you can. And she says it's an island where you can't be extradited no matter what crimes you've committed. Um, so they, the police are like, we, this is it. Yeah. So they, they go to trial. They both say they're, um, they're innocent. And Michelle actually describes her relationship with Kent as more of like a customer. And she's like, you know, he was obsessed with me and I had broken off the engagement and he was like, basically like stalking me. And she was like, yes, I was that a time in my life. I was manipulative. I was dancing. I was getting gifts from these men, but I didn't have anything to do with the murder. And she actually said that the life insurance policy was his idea. Um, and that it's actually true that they both they both took out life insurance policies on each other. So he had one on her, and she had one on him. Um, and she said that she tried to cancel the policies before his death after they had broken things off. So like, she I don't I don't know if there is any proof to that, but she says she she knew she was no longer a beneficiary. She tried to cancel the policies, um, and then at trial, John Carlin, or actually at his um, his sentencing. Um, He suggested that the whole thing was a setup by Kent. Like, he basically, like, planned his own murder.
0: That's ridiculous. Right,
1: to, like, frame the other three because Michelle had rejected him. Um, I mean, he says that he did write the letter um, about Hope, like, trying— but it wasn't to lure Kent. So basically the letter—it's kind of complicated, but it, like— it suggests, it said, like, it was from John, and it's to Hope, and it said, like, hey, I have this cabin for you and Hope, and you can go down there whenever you want, and then there was, like, a little handwritten note from her on it that was, like, hey, thanks so much, we can't tell anybody else about it, and so that, and then they left it where Kent could see it, and so he says, John says, I did write that letter, but it wasn't to, like, it wasn't to lure Kent to Hope. It was to, like, cover up for Michelle because she was going to, like, Tahoe to see Scott. Like, I wasn't trying to lure him anywhere. Um, so he says he kind of wondered if Kent had, like, had himself killed as a last act or revenge. Like a guy, Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, gond- like I mean, well, except he was actually dead. But so that, yeah. he, that it was, like, he was so... Basically, they... He betrayed him. Mm-hmm. I and mean, he didn't say, he was like, I don't know this, but this is, like, my... He thought this. Okay. So the jury didn't buy that argument. um, And both of them were convicted in 2007 and sentenced to 99 years in prison.
0: Holy shit. But.
1: But. So fast forward to 2010 and Michelle um, has appealed her murder to the court of appeals and they vote to overturn the conviction. Oh my God,
0: why? On what grounds? <laughs> On what grounds? On what grounds?
1: <laughs> well, their main reason is that um, the letter that Kent wrote to his parents should never have been admitted at trial. And I 100% agree with that. That's true. Because... Parents can write stuff. Well, they didn't... I mean, he wrote it to them. Basically, it's like... Be, it was like a... a something Beyond the grave, like he was accusing them... But there was no way that you they couldn't like interrogate him and find out. I mean, he didn't actually know that they about killed the him.
0: Son, watching him bleach a gun.
1: Well, that was still yeah. Well, I mean that that was still there, but that's the only. I mean, that doesn't show that they don't have the gun. They didn't have the yeah. gun. They couldn't tie the gun to um, the murder. So they the court basically said like this is this this is not evidence, and this is totally prejudicial. Like this made the jury. I mean, they believed this was true. They believed that, like, if he said that they were going to kill him and then he died, that that was what happened. But that's not proof. That's And so they threw that out and they overturned the conviction. So the case went back to—and they actually—so the appeals court overturned Michelle's conviction. And then they also overturned John Carlin's conviction. But it was too late for him because he'd been killed in prison in 2008. <sighs> And they don't know. I mean, they don't think it's connected, but they also don't know who killed him. He was in in jail. So nobody was ever arrested for his murder. So he died. She had been in prison for two and a half years. So the case went back to the district attorney. um, And then it's up to them to decide whether or not to try Michelle again. Um, And they actually did seek to retry her. But then in 2011, the Superior Court dismissed the indictment. So which means like they would have had to go to the grand jury again. Um, And the 2012, the district attorney um, announced that they wouldn't indict her
0: again. So she is, like, back with her family in Washington. Oh, my God. Totally free. the eight-year-old daughter is probably an adult, full-on adult now. Well, yeah, because so 2006, she was eight. So whatever, 13 plus eight. Yep. Full-on adult. And she probably knows her mom did it. Right? Well, I mean, the... Like, all signs point to... Her family... I mean, her
1: husband and her husband's family stood behind her. So, I couldn't find anything about whether they're still married or what happened after. But I do know that once she got out of prison, she went back to her husband, so... That
0: would make a really good movie. It's like... Like... Did she... Like... Crimes of my mother, right? <laughs> like, because did you it could—if your mom is a killer. Or yeah, a child? I mean, I you know, like I kind like of back feel like. And forth between you know, right? I mean, I feel like you.
1: It is. It is up in the air. Like there's no evidence saying that she was tied
0: to it. There's no communication between her and John showing that. Like there's the whole life insurance. I. All signs point to yes I think she like took out a life insurance why on him and nobody else
1: well but he it was the, between the two of them so she took it out he took it out went out on her and she took one out on him mm-hmm. and apparently it was like part of their like be, in before they got married
0: oh my gosh
1: so well, I don't or know maybe he
0: really did like but I mean where' I don't understand why the son would say that he saw his father cleaning a gun right. If they weren't somehow involved, because I would say, oh yeah, maybe like this was like some elaborate setup that he like suicide that he wanted to frame. But then, yeah. how do you explain them cleaning the gun and why would the kid go so far as to like turning in his father? Right,
1: and who actually then killed him? Because yeah, even if he set it up, I mean that's just kind of a crazy theory. I think yeah, because he was I'm shot three times. Go with she did it. I mean, who knows, but um, but anyway, that's a crazy story and uh and I got all of this from that 48 hours presents love and death in Alaska and then also um there were like a ton of stories about it in the Anchorage Daily News that were really interesting. So, Oh wow. So that's my story. That's Love and Death in Alaska.
0: There you go. <laughs> hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Are you ready for a real love story yeah a good one i feel like i need to feel s- good yes i need okay. something to restore my faith and love well some people call this love story one of the greatest love stories of all time who are these people do they know my they, story <laughs> they say it um but this is the love story of uh sarat and ruth williams okay do you know it no well you will Um, So in June 1947, which didn't your love story last week start in 1947? It was
1: 1945 to 1946. Oh, (laughs) man. The world was at war. War So in June of
0: 1947, um, um, she was a secretary at an insurance company in London. Um, Her name was Ruth Williams. Her and her sister went to a party in London. Um, it was a, at a hostel uh, associated with the Congressional Church that Muriel attended. Her sister Muriel. And um, so Muriel introduced um, her sister Ruth to um, this man, this very handsome man named Asuretse. Um, And but um, so she just thought he was just like a nice, good-looking dude. Yeah. You know. Um. And she. She didn't know much about him. And um, she just said, I saw a tall, well-built, smiling African with wonderful teeth, broad shoulders, and perfect manners. Okay. I love good manners. (laughs) I love good manners. I really do. I get it. I get those. Those are all nice traits. Wonderful teeth, broad shoulders, and perfect manners. Um, But so she um, was instantly smitten, but no one told her that he was the heir to the throne of chief and the Bob. This is where I'm going to say it. We um wrong. Um it's Bamanguado people of Bushanland, which is now referred to <laughs> that? uh Bushanoland. Oh, yeah. Bushanaland. And it's now what is now Botswana. Okay, let's just call so, it Botswana. So okay, so he was let's call it Botswana from here Hero Out for all intents and purposes. Okay. So he um so she was a secretary in an insurance company, he was an African prince. Um, all right. They it was very sweet they like hung out for a while as friends and then um one night to show his perfect manners um, he called uh ruth at her office and said i have two th-. they were both really into jazz okay which is sweet that's and, how um, i pictured them yeah in the
1: 40s at a right? jazz club
0: yeah yeah and so he said i have two tickets for the ink spots which is uh was a popular jazz group and he said I'll get three if you'd like your sister to come along with us because he was being a perfect gentleman and then Ruth um immediately was like I want to come but not with my sister (laughs) it was like that cock block no way nah
1: (laughs) yeah totally I mean with name like Muriel you're like yeah no
0: (laughs) so they um you know uh, uh, with over a year just fell madly in love with each other and he was like, oh, Ruth, will you ever love me? And she was like, oh, absolutely. It's so cute. So cute. <laughs> and um, so then she... So, But the problem was a lot of people um, were opposed to their marriage. Right. Because they were an interracial couple in the 1940s. And then... Um, but the thing is because he, lo- he loves his country so much and he was supposed to be... He's the prince, you know? And so he proposed to her, but he said, like... I want to marry you, but I have to live in Africa. I cannot live in London. Like, will you come with me? Um, Yeah. You know, I have to be with my people because it was so important to him. And, um, she was like, absolutely. Like, didn't even, you know, um, so she, they, she went to, um, Africa with him and, um, to Botswana. But, um, before they went, he asked his uncle, uh, Jaquette Kama, who was the tribe's regent, like he was in charge, his uncle, Um, he was the, um, he um, he had to ask his uncle's permission and, um, you know, to marry her. And he was like, absolutely not. In fact, he said, like, if my, if you come home here, I will fight you to the death. Like, if you bring this white woman to my country, I will fight you. Um, and I, man. to the death. Yeah. And so then, she, and then also her family completely, um, threw her out of the, their home. Like they wanted nothing to do with her because she was marrying an African man. Yeah. And so she, they couldn't, um, they were going to get married in a church in London, but, um, um his uncle then contracted, contacted British government and was like, do not let, that you cannot let this marriage happen because the thing was they were um like their they had ties the british um had ties to um the white ruled south africa which was their neighbors and they had just um like uh, um imposed um and um a, a law that you could they inter, like banning interracial marriage in South Africa and so it was just like to keep the peace so um, right. like then um, like British Parliament was against it and his people in Botswana were against it. South Africa was against it. His uncle was against it. So everyone was against it. But they just loved each other too we were much. Like, we just
1: want to. We just want to listen to some jazz, man.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and he he, he opens we doors for me. Jazz. So um, they were. Um, so they, they couldn't get married by a church. So they went to London to get married, but it was stopped, and they weren't able to get married. But they did, were able to have a civil marriage. Um, so it wasn't sanctioned by the church, but they did legally get married. And his people were angry with him, but you know he couldn't leave her. And um, so there were um, protests in South Africa and in um, the British government. They exiled him. So they exiled him from his country and um, he wasn't allowed even though he loved his woman, he loved her so much he had to stay with her right. and um and he you know the country that he loved so much, he um, couldn't go back to but in 1956, after six years of campaigning um, to be able to return, they were allowed back in Botswana, but he had to renounce his throne. He was not allowed to be a leader. Yeah. Um, but to show how much not only he loved his wife, and they ended up having four children together, um, not only show how much he loved his wife he loved his country so much and his people so much in Botswana he founded the Botswana Democratic Party in 1962 um and then after, and then he became a prime minister in 1965 and in 1966 Botswana he led them to independence and oh. they elected him as their first president so uh, as and then under his presidency, he like saved the country. Basically, they like underwent rapid economic and social progress. Like yeah. he just brought them to a whole another level. Um, so yeah, he was their first president. Um, with his wife by his side and she was beloved by all of their people and became, they called her, her, their mother. See, so, people love love. And now to this day, their, um, their son, Ian comma is now the president of Botswana right now. Oh wow. Yeah. So he went on to become the president. Um, there's a really um, there's a movie out right now called um, A United Kingdom and it's about their love story. I haven't seen it because it's I think it's only out in London, not here. But maybe it'll come out on the televisions and I could watch it. <laughs> but maybe it'll be yeah. on the Netflix. It's a very lovely love story and about how you know their love for each other and and like they just wouldn't stop and they wouldn't be right. deterred by anything and even like. His love for his people and her love for his people, yeah, would and who, which eventually became her people and her son's people. like it was just, it's just like it's really they, beautiful. It was really beautiful, and I really enjoyed this story very much. I loved it too. I had
1: never heard that. i'm I'm excited. yeah, that's awesome. All right. So we want to end every podcast um, with saying something that we love this week. Um, the first podcast we did a dumb thing and love, but we both realized we couldn't think of a dumb thing. <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, is we could great. probably think of a dumb thing. I just can't think of anything that would be interesting for other people to hear. Yeah. Um, but maybe what we'll do is when you guys start sending us your stories, which we can't wait for and you can send them to dumblovepod at gmail.com, um, that's where we'll read your dumb love stories um, at the end. Or in yeah. the beginning. I don't know. But anyway, so what we're going to do this week is just talk about something that we each love this week. Um, so I can go first. So my, um, the thing I love this week is we went to, um, my dad has a, a beach house, um, which I know sounds very posh, but it... Um, Lodgy <laughs> I know. I feel, I felt really, um, it, it felt wrong saying it, um, but my dad has like he was a pilot and he saved his money and uh he and my stepmom have um have done really well and and they so they have a they have built a house in um in Florida in Santa Rosa Beach and it's just so beautiful down there. And we took Max there this weekend and he like got in the ocean for the first time and swam and he I mean not he's in a floaty, but I mean he like really loved it and it just made me so happy because I love swimming so much. And um and this is like the first summer that he has not been afraid of the water. Um so that was what I love this week and it's just so beautiful. It makes me so happy to be down there. So we spent Father's Day With my dad and, um, with Ben, my husband, and that was just really nice, and it was just,
0: it was just a really great weekend. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we should say we love fathers and, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For the most part, they're all pretty cool. I mean, for the most. The cool ones are cool. Yeah, I think we're grateful for our husbands that are dads. Yes. So that's cool. Um... But yeah, um, I would say the thing that I love this week, um, besides Father's Day, Happy Father's Day dudes out there, um, is um, my friends um, that I love so much. They, um, they actually they own um, Argosy in East Atlanta, where um, I actually, this is, I'm going to plug my own show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do a show called Day Night. It's in the back of Argosy at the Brigantine's, a beautiful restaurant, but they just opened up. They've been working so hard. Um, to get this new brewery opened up where oh, they cool. make their own beers, but then the food is amazing. And they had a private friends and family opening oh, night. Got fancy. <laughs> and drink everything and eat everything. And it was amazing. It's called Scepter and it's an Oakhurst and it's awesome. Um, and that was a love and also a dumb at the end of the night because I drank so many free delicious drinks <laughs> that uh, Rodney Leet, who is a fixture here in Atlanta, he's the like um, showrunner here in Atlanta. Um, he runs Star Bar. He's amazing. It was his 50th birthday, and I was supposed to celebrate with him that night at Star Bar for his big birthday party, and I drank so much at the the dinner <laughs> that you couldn't make it no i could <laughs> not make it i am a lightweight these days i can't i can't drink like i
1: used to i know those are the it's days too and i'm done i always tell people I'm like
0: i it's used like, to be my, so fun i used to be yeah <laughs> I used to be a real fun gal I like I forget that I'm not fun anymore. Yeah. Until, every once like, in a while my third drink and then I'm like oh, I have to go home right now. <laughs> I need to go to bed. I'm so tired <laughs> I can walk. Um, so that was I loved it. Go to Scepter. It's amazing. Um, and I'm so sorry, Rodney, for missing your birthday. I'm dumb. <laughs> so dumb. So dumb. Um but, well fine. Well, okay, yeah. so I think we said all the things, rate, review, and um, and subscribe um, to yes. Dumb Love. And we can't wait to hear your story. So thank you guys for listening, and please send in your awesome Dumb Love stories. All right, bye. We love Sally and Jen. Love
1: us.